scripture reading today. In Joppa, there was a follower named Tabitha. Her Greek name was Dorcas, which means deer. She was always doing good things for people and giving much to the poor. But she got sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Joppa wasn't far from Lydda, and the followers heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to say to him, Please, come with us as quickly as you can. At once, Peter went with them. The men took Peter upstairs into the room. Many widows were there crying. They showed him the coats and the clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still alive. After Peter had sent everyone out of the room, he knelt down and prayed. Then he turned to the body of Dorcas and said, Tabitha, get up. The woman opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Peter called in the widows and the other followers and showed them that Dorcas had been raised from death. Everyone in Joppa heard what had happened, and many of them put their faith in the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Jesus was in Jerusalem for the temple festival. One day he was walking in the part of the temple known as Solomon's porch, and the people gathered all around him. They said, how long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I've told you, and you refuse to believe me. The things I do by my father's authority show who I am. But since you are not my sheep, you don't believe me. My sheep know my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, so that they will never be lost. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father gave them to me, and my Father is greater than all others. No one can snatch them from his hands. And I am one with the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Sure, whichever. Fun with electronics. In today's readings, we hear about signs from God. Tabitha was raised from the dead. She was well known. She was generous. She was loved. And when people heard that she was raised from the dead, we are told many of them put their faith in the Lord. It was a sign from God. 
But not all people saw these miraculous events as signs from God. In our gospel, Jesus had just healed the man born blind. And the Pharisees argued, he healed on the Sabbath, cannot be from God. Cured blindness. Sinners can't do that. So they were kind of struggling with what does it mean. I notice that one of their own had been cured of blindness and no one was celebrating. Much, in much of the gospel, the religious authorities are looking at these events and they're arguing about them. Are they signs from God? Are they signs from the devil? Are they not signs at all and they are just meaningless? And Jesus tells us the difference. My sheep know my voice. That the eyes of faith, the ears of faith, make the difference. The truth is that these signs are not straightforward. They weren't then, they're not now. They weren't straightforward and they're not simple. It's tempting to say that Tabitha was raised from the dead because she was so good that she was so loved that she deserved it. But this Tabitha who was raised from the dead eventually died. Every person that Jesus healed eventually died. If, if her resurrection is a sign of God's power, then what does her death mean? While others saw Tabitha's resurrection as a sign of God, we don't hear how Tabitha feels about it. I mean, I'm wondering, was Tabitha just sitting down to the heavenly banquet and then gets pulled back to enjoy the pains and aches of old age? <laughs> it's not straightforward and it's not simple. Over the last year, I have been watching the move of Interfaith Sanctuary, which is a shelter, overnight shelter for the homeless in Boise. Could somebody hand me my piece? It started about a year ago when Sanctuary sold their building. They sold their building and they bought another one over on State Street. It's a better facility, it's bigger. And they met with almost immediate resistance from the local neighborhood. And pretty quickly, the sides became polarized. And Sanctuary said, it's the only place we can be. And the neighborhood said, but what about our safety? And Sanctuary said, you're just being, you know, not in my backyard people. And the neighborhood said, why do we have to carry the brunt of a citywide problem? Last week, they received their conditional use permit and they will be moving. But it doesn't look straightforward to me and it doesn't look simple. Prior to coming here last summer, I spent a year and a half at Corpus Christi House, which is a day shelter for the homeless. So a lot of those folks that, were sleep, that spend the night at Sanctuary spend the day at Corpus. And Sanctuary is an important overnight shelter. It's the only you know, fully accepting overnight shelter, no requirement for a statement of faith in Boise. And this new location is going to be really good. And 
I think neighborhood concerns about safety are really valid. Frequently at Corpus, I would find drugs in the bathroom. It turns out drug addicts have ADHD and leave their stuff laying around. <laughs> and I also frequently in the morning would welcome people that were black and blue from violence the night before. There's our wind monitor. I was threatened. I was also always protected. And so as I watched this play out, I saw that both perspectives had merit and had truth. But what I didn't hear was a discussion about the city of Boise's responsibility. 20 years ago, the city of Boise had a homeless shelter called Community House that they ran badly and over a series of events closed and now the only place that, you know, there was no place um, that was, you know, fully welcoming of all faith traditions and sanctuary was started. I think the city of Boise has interest and responsibility in caring for homeless citizens. But instead, they have hands off. They let sanctuary do it. Corpus Christi House do it. I also think the city of Boise has interest and responsibility in ensuring the safety of the neighborhood there. When do we talk about the city's responsibility? We could ask some more questions about the city of CUNA's responsibility. But an even bigger issue around homelessness is mental illness. The majority of the folks that I saw at Corpus had significant mental illness problems. Mark Schlegel-Preheim, who's preached here, is the operations coordinator at Corpus Christi House, and he wrote a, an, an article for Idaho Gives this last week describing care for a woman who could not, you know, keep, brush her own hair and bathe herself. Clearly delusional. In this country, we let the seriously mentally ill fend for themselves on the street. We have people whose mental illness is so disabling that they cannot adult. They can't keep a job. They can't manage their own money. They can't even physically care for themselves. And instead of caring for them, we let them walk the streets. When do we talk about mental illness? It's not straightforward and it's not simple. This week it was leaked that the Supreme Court may overturn Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was a landmark Supreme Court decision almost 50 years ago um, that ensured the uh, legality of abortion in all 50 states. And if it's overturned, then that legal protection is gone. Crowds immediately erupted, both in support of Roe v. Wade and in support of overturning it. There were signs, I am not an incubator. Stop the war on women's bodies. And there were signs a person is a person no matter how small. An abortion stops a beating heart. 
but I don't think it's straightforward and I don't think it's simple. 20 years ago, I looked it up and it was 20 whole years ago, I represented the Catholic Church at the legislature. And it was not, probably doesn't come as a surprise, the Catholic Church has strong language around the, the, the preciousness and the dignity of life of the unborn. It might come as a surprise that the Catholic Church has just as strong of language about the preciousness and the dignity of life of women, you know, of the post-pubescent. And so I would go into the legislature, abortion bills would come up, and the pro-life people would stand up, talk all about babies, go sit down with their pro-life friends. The pro-choice people would stand up, talk all about women, go sit down with their pro-choice friends. And I stood up and talked about babies and women and pretty much pissed everybody off. <laughs> so as I was going in doing this, I knew some about the abortion issue, but I thought I want to learn, I, I did my own research. I wanted to learn about, about what abortion was really like in the country at that time. Because at that time, the stories people would bring out were primarily around teenage pregnancy. So I did my own research. And I was surprised to find out that at that time, the majority of abortions um, were uh, obtained by, by people 18 to 24. And I remember thinking when I was 18 to 24, I had no health insurance. Parenting is expensive. Now, the Affordable Care Act passed in 2010, and the abortion rate came down. But then I, I kept researching, and I found something that has changed my perspective on abortion ever since. And that is that the abortion rate mirrors the poverty rate. Poverty rate goes up, abortion rate goes up. Poverty rate comes down, abortion rate comes down. One of the signs just this week here in Boise was I can't afford to have a child. And they're right. For many people, parenting is more expensive than they can afford. Even pregnancy is more than they can afford. Many people find pregnancy to be so physically demanding, they feel so lousy, that it compromises their ability to work their service job, standing on their feet for eight hours a day. They can't afford a day of sick leave, forget about months. There are folks that seek abortion for medical reasons, but poverty remains the driving factor. And so as this issue plays out, people are talking about rights. But I'm thinking, when do we talk about the rocket fuel of poverty around abortion? When do we talk about women who are pushed into choices they never wanted to make? When do we talk about the fact that children remain the demographic with the highest rates of poverty in our country? When do we talk about poverty? How we see signs from God is all about our perspective. Raising from the dead, the location of a homeless shelter, the legality of abortion. 
The miracles of Jesus led many to faith in God, not because it proved God, but because they saw God. And they came to follow Christ, to be followers of the way, to live lives committed to loving God and loving others. And God is still giving us signs, signs that can be seen with the eyes of faith, that lead us to follow Christ, that lead us to be followers of the way, that lead us to love God and love others, even when it is not straightforward and it is not simple.